0: Well, good morning, everyone. We're happy that you're here to join us today. Uh, today on Mother's Day of all days, we're all cooped up in our homes and so forth. Uh, but we hope that uh, for those that have children, you get, a, you get a chance to talk to your children today and that uh, it's a, a good time for you. You know, uh, around our house, so many things are going on and, and the kids are all into their devices a lot. And, and we try to be careful on that, on, on giving them too much time. It's kind of hard during this time as we're trying to stay more indoors and so forth. So we try to get the kids to read and and all that. We have a time right before bed that, that we definitely sit down and read. And the other day, my wife goes to our, our youngest, uh, Grayson. He's almost five. He's been... He's been reading since two, uh, sight words and all that, and, and fully reading since three and stuff. So, so it's been a lot of fun with him. Uh, and then uh, she goes, hey, you want to read? And, and he's like, I'm not sure. And, and she goes, well, let's grab the book. Where do giggles come from? And she asks him, where do giggles come from? And he grabs the book and, and he takes it out of her hands and he, he opens it up to the very last page and he goes, from deep inside your belly, mom. <laughs> You know, I just I, that's typical kids, you know. Uh I'm I'm good mom. Uh I I don't feel like reading right now. Here's the answer that you're <coughs> that you're looking for. So we hope that uh, all you have uh, wonderful memories of your kids, but let's uh let's pray as we get started this morning. Lord, we just uh we just come to you in our time of need. We come in our, you know, a time of need for, for each other, for, for coming together as a, as a body of Christ, that you will open those doors up soon. Uh, a time of need to have human connection with each other. I pray that, uh, that you continue to bless us, bless our church, bless our church people and the churches in Tulare. I, I, I pray for those that are still sick, Lord, that you would just watch over them. We thank you for our nurses and doctors and, and teachers that are doing Zoom and, and our, our first responders and all those that are out there trying to help, Lord, that you would be, uh, that you would be amongst them. And, and let us shine uh, our light during this time uh, of need for, for the communities. In your loving name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, again, we want to welcome you um, to our service as we celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, how many of you here online, whatever, uh, are, are, you know, have or have at any point in your life been a mother? Okay, excellent, excellent. That's right. Mothers, we celebrate. Everyone that out there is a woman, uh, really, in, in many ways, is a is a mother figure to many people. In part because mothers are, are universal. Everyone comes from a mother, um, and we've all been impacted for you know for better in many places and, and worse in others, with joy or with pain, uh, by a mother. But today, we, we you know even as we celebrate our mothers. I invite each one of you into this message I'm going to share. The examples are drawn from motherhood, but the message is just not for those who have, who have given birth. There are many amongst us who have, have parented many kids uh, through teaching, uh, through being an aunt or, or being a friend or being that mother figure, uh, you know, and, and people who help raise children. So, so this message is for all of us. It's really a message of grace. And it fits right into what we've been talking a lot about through the book of Galatians, and that's grace. Grace is one of those bedrocks of, of Christianity. So, so why are we talking about grace today? Because we celebrate the great joy of motherhood. We must also acknowledge the potential to reach the, the same measure of, of, of deep pain in it. As every good Hallmark card tells us and every good movie tells us, a mother's love cannot be compared to any other. But the same is true of a mother's pain. Think of think of Eve, the mother of all. I mean, surely she experienced great joy giving birth to the very, very first newborn. I mean, just how amazing that would have been. But but she also was the first mother to bury a child, a son killed at the hand of her uh, of his own brother. I mean, great joy, but also deep pain. And what about Mary, possibly the most famous mother in history, the mother of Jesus? Imagine the incredible joy she experienced knowing that she was giving birth to God's Son, the Savior of the world. Yet how that must have pelled in comparison to the heart-trenching pain and utter confusion she must have felt during, during his life and watching his life and his ministry unfold and, and seemingly end with his unimaginable death on the cross. So you see we have great joy, but also deep pain sometimes. You see, motherhood, uh, motherhood we, we often imagine that to, you know, the, the pain comes first in labor, um, and then it ends with the delivery of a baby. And, and while that's true, it's a very limited view, because they don't tell you in those labor and delivery classes, is that the cycle doesn't end there. It's not over when you finish pushing. When you hold that bundle of joy in your arms, the cycle of joy and pain has really just begun. Labor is, is lifelong, if you want to put it in those terms, except there is no epidural option to ease the pain. Just deep breaths as you walk through the ups and downs. Every mother's heart is full and, and broken at the same time, over and over and over. But if we're honest... The same can be said for all of us in in different areas of our life. We live in a broken world. Therefore, our lives are continually marked by great joy and deep pain. So how do we respond? Well, I challenge all of us to learn today what mothers have challenged, uh, what mothers are challenged to learn every day. To live by grace with an open hand. That is to accept God's grace. Then merited favor of God's love and the gifts he brings to our lives. Then instead of gasping, uh, you know, grasping onto them with a, with a tight fist, we learn to pry our fingers open and give those gifts back to God continually. Until we pry less and less and, and, still, and instead start to, to receive. And then we turn around and offer those gifts freely and naturally to others. This is really no easy task. The only way is to keep letting go is to hold tighter to God. To do that, let's talk about some less talked about uh, mothers of the Bible. You find in the most part that their stories aren't exactly the mommy Instagram material, you know. But God shows up and, and meets everyone in her story. Just as he wants to do in our lives today. Now, the first one is, is uh, Jochebed. We have to turn back to early in the Old Testament in Exodus to, in order to find our first mother. You may even know this mother by, by or you may not even know this mother by her own name, uh, Jochebed, but you may know her by being Moses' mother. The first mention of her comes in a highly descriptive verse in, in Exodus chapter 2 verse 1. It says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. I mean, no wonder why we don't really know her name that much. It's, it's not even given until four chapters later in a genealogy list. But you do probably know this mother simply by the fact that she was the mother of Moses. Jacobbed was, was blessed with a healthy son, but the circumstances of her life forced her to give him up. The pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler at the time, he ordered that all Hebrew baby boys should be killed. Period. And as soon as they were born, that was supposed to happen. So, Jacob's baby was, was not safe from the moment he took his first breath. And his mother had a choice. She could hold off and risk his life, her own life and her whole family's lives, including her, her older children's, or B, let him go. So in the famous story, Jacobbed sets her, her, her baby Moses in a basket afloat in the Nile River. Miraculously, by God's design, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. Moses' sister appears out of the, the reeds and recommends an excellent Hebrew nursemaid. She just so happens to know. And Pharaoh's daughter allows mom to nurse and raise the baby. Yaqobed receives Jochebed releases, and then she receives again. But Moses' mother is, uh, you know, has to give up her son at another time also. In Exodus 2, verse 9 and 10, it tells us, So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. We often think we know how hard it, you know, it would have been for this mother to send her baby floating down the river. But can you imagine how much harder it was to give him up a second time? To allow him to become the son of another woman? And not just any woman, the daughter of Pharaoh. The tyrant who wanted to kill this baby you know, and all the babies like him in the first place. What have you had to give up because of the circumstances beyond your control? Perhaps a child? Perhaps the, the hope of having a child? Or maybe a job or a home or a friend or a goal? Or maybe the dream that you had with, uh, you know, about your child's life? We don't like to surrender things and let go, but, but God promises that at that moment we give up control, he is in control. In Proverbs three, five, and six, it directs us. It tells us, "Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight." And we can take comfort in the fact that even when we don't understand the purpose and can't see the ultimate outcome, God's purpose is in that place. Isaiah fifty-five, eight and nine reminds us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The question that Jochebed leaves us with today is, what do you need to surrender control to God? Now, the second woman I want to talk about is a woman from Seraphath. In First Kings 17, we're told about the, the prophet Elijah, and he's been hiding out, uh, you know, drinking from a stream and being fed by ravens. When the water runs dry, God instructs him to go to Seraphath and, and where we find a, a widow with whom God has instructed to feed him. Sure enough, when, when Elijah arrives and asks for water, there, the woman brings it to him. And, but, but when he asks her for a piece of bread, she replies in verse 12. As surely as the Lord, uh, Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. I mean, this is a pretty grim situation. But Elijah responds in verse 13 and 14. He says, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the, uh, what the Lord, the Lord of Lords says. The jar of flour will not not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on this land. Well, miraculously, the woman obeys him. She does as instructed by God and Elijah and it works. The flour and oil miraculously keep flowing and, and there's enough bread every day for the woman, her son, and Elijah who stays with them. Now, we don't know exactly how long this arrangement goes on, but the fascinating and challenging part of this mother story comes at the end. Eventually, the widow's son gets sick and dies, and the woman, you know, cries out to Elijah. Elijah comes uh, out, uh, and he cries out to God, and, and God brings the boy back to life. It is then, in verse 24, that the widow says, Now I know that you are a man of God, And the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I know, she says. Apparently she had a lot of doubts before, but she didn't, you know, let that stop her from obeying the Lord. She obeyed God's word every day, going to the flour jar and and the oil jug and, and feeding her family and the prophet who kept showing up for dinner. She acted in obedience to God, even in the midst of her doubt. You know, we have a similar promise that comes to us in Philippians four nineteen. It says, And my Jesus will meet all your needs according to the riches of the, his glory in Christ Jesus. But how often do we live in doubt that this is really true? Both for us and, and many times for our kids. But it's okay. God can handle our doubt. But like the widow, we're still called to act in obedience to come to him daily for our sustenance and provision, even in the midst of our doubts and questions or fears. The mother from Zarephath, you know, offers us this question. Where do you need to trust God's promises and step out in obedience in the midst of doubt? Now, the next woman I want to talk about is, you know, mother is Bathsheba. We tend to think of how Bathsheba became a, a mother uh, than, than her actual motherhood itself. But talk about a, a, a painful uh, situation. Bathsheba was, uh, was caught in King David's web of power, adultery, and murder, and cover-up. And after King David summons Bathsheba to, you know, to his palace while, while her husband Uriah is away at war, David tries to bring Uriah home and cover up all the sin. But it doesn't work. So David ends up literally having Uriah killed and taken Bathsheba as one of his wives. I mean, this is a really messed up situation. Now, we're not told, how, you know, much about Bathsheba's willingness or thoughts and feelings throughout the story. And, and uh, I, you know, whether she was willing or not, I mean, there's a lot of pressure with the king and so forth. I don't think she's necessarily willing. And, and, and the, you know, the story is found in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But culturally, she would have not had much say in the matter. We're told she mourns the death of her husband, Uriah. Then because God is so displeased with David's actions, the child she she gives birth to dies. I mean, it sounds like a hopeless situation. But just a few verses later, we read that David repents and Bathsheba conceives and gives birth to a son named Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, that King Solomon, known throughout history as unsurpa- you know, for his unsurpassed wisdom, and, and for being one of the Israel's greatest kings, and even more amazing, Bathsheba through through this son Solomon is part of the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. Well, we can only guess to, you know, Bathsheba's response to much of what happened in the story. We're given a clear picture of God work, you know, God working in the midst of, of circumstances uh, to ultimately redeem her story. And her story encourages us that when life's circumstances, whether chosen or forced upon us, look ugly and hopeless, God shows up. We don't use this as an excuse for bad behavior or sin. But in the midst of anguish, we look for God to show up. Even in the face of ongoing consequences of our own sin or sin that we become wrapped up in that is not uh, any fault of our own, His grace covers us and He can redeem our stories. There is hope for us in Bathsheba's story. It is the same hope we find in the promise of Romans 8.28 which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Who have been called according to his purpose. When our hope is in, in God's redemption, we're able to say, as Joseph did after a long journey of family dysfunction and unfair suffering combined with God's goodness, he said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Yes, he was talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. And it's worth repeating here, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. See, Bathsheba is a mother who asks us, are you living a story in need of redemption? And what part of life do you need to live in the hope that God is redeeming your story? Now, the next woman I want to talk about uh, about is Naomi. Naomi. Uh she, uh, uh she is from the book of Ruth, which, which really should be named, uh, renamed Naomi. And Naomi uh, kind of gets lost in the story. But, it, but it's a beautiful picture of the redemption of Naomi. Naomi loses her husband and, and both her sons. And she is left with two women who, who, are, who are now her daughters-in-laws that she is responsible for. Naomi is at her lowest, in fact, she's on the banks of the Dead Sea, which happens to be the lowest spot on earth, and they're headed home without the men. They have lost all provision and lost all protection. Women didn't have many rights during that day, so, so men could, could really pounce on them literally and Physically. And also, their possessions would be taken as well. So even Ruth and Oprah, the you know the uh, their their male relatives could come and take all their possessions, including their house. So so at this point, they just hit the road. And Naomi has relatives in Bethlehem, and she's like, "We just we got to go somewhere." So off they go. And somewhere down the road, Naomi says to them, "I have nothing to help you with." I mean, she is at her lowest point. You are released. You can go home to your family now. And I am totally bitter. And, and in verse 16, Ruth replies, to her, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And then I will also be buried. But may the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I mean, this is an amazing story, and their friendship is amazing. Now, now this is between a mother and her daughter and all. What a great connection. Naomi is stuck in her bitterness until it goes out, and a good man kind of takes interest in her, a godly man. And we see how the Lord kind of works in there. And Naomi, who had become bitter, is now really thinking, who gave you all this food? And she learns it about, you know, learns about Boaz. So she starts to understand who Boaz really is, a a relative, and and that God has not forgotten us, she's thinking. This is all happening at the busiest time of the year, uh, you know, for them and all the coincidences. And she remembers the whole kinsman redeemer concept, and a plan kind of hatches in her mind. And with that plan comes hope. Ruth's hope was to survive and find favor. Naomi's hope goes much deeper. Naomi is is healing and starts to become a different person. God starts to draw Naomi back to him. Naomi teaches Ruth about the kinsman redeemer and the closest male relative of her husband that has died uh, is supposed to, to step in and help her once she's widowed. Now, Naomi, was, who, who was the bitter one, has come out of her bitterness. Once she recognizes that the Lord is in the middle of what she thought was a bad situation. There are plenty of women out there who have felt like Naomi. Where you thought, I'm not going to get through this. And all of a sudden, the, the Lord is right there and, and you recognize him. Now become, you become the, the light that's able to, to point someone else in the right direction. You become the older woman in the New Testament uh, that the New Testament talks about. How you can mentor and direct other women toward God's way. You have become the blessed one. And now it shows. You know, over the years, my wife and I, we've had some extra moms in a sense. Uh, now, we love our moms. We just lived 1,700 miles away from them for, for many years before her parents came and lived with us. Uh, but the, the Lord has always provided someone to mentor and, and someone to be there for us. So you ladies who may not have children close at home, or for one reason or another chosen not to have children, or, or you couldn't have children, you can still be used by God. To help those who need, a mur- you know, like a, a nurturing mother figure. Who doesn't need someone who, who has the Lord's interests in mind for, for, for us? Someone who can point us in, in the Lord's direction to love us and to pray for us. To look out for us. This is exactly what Naomi did for Ruth. And what some women are called to do in the church body is exactly this. To be there for the younger women. You know, with this world, there's so much going on and and so many negative factors. Our women need to to step up in a godly way and, and, you know, really take the calling that God has called us to, to direct those that are younger than us. You can be the guiding influence that changes many generations to come because you were used by God with Younger ladies, imagine that! What a what a legacy to be able to leave. Now, as we think of these four mothers from the Old Testament, and the picture that the you know the mothers uh, we know today, you know were uh, that were brought uh, to today a, a day to honor and celebrate mothers, and to ask what does a mother really want for Mother's Day? It's not a KitchenAid. It's not an appliance. You know, my wife and I, we always joke around. You know, that's always a big joke between husbands and wives. But if you have young kids at home during the quarantine, you probably want some peace and quiet. Or a day away from, you know, after seven straight weeks of no breaks. But be that as it may, I I think there are, you know, there's a bigger picture that we can look at. I think mothers want on this day what they want every day. To be able to, to fix a broken world. To men's hearts. To hold the the one they love tight. And to be enough for them. But really they can't. None of us can. And in that dark reality where, where, you know, where a mother's heart breaks. Where all of our hearts break. There's a space for the one who is enough. Jesus alone is enough. He is the one who is in control, the one who, you know, we can put our trust in to to provide for us, and the one who is daily redeeming both the joy and the pain of our stories. This morning, let his grace pour through you and fill every crack not just today when you gather around the table or, or have a Zoom meeting with your kids or the phone call, but in your everyday moments through the phone calls with the older kids and through the pile of dishes if they're still at home with you, the, the loads of laundry, the muddy shoes, the, the looming deadlines, the unanswered emails, the, the broken curfews, the harsh words, the tears behind the bedroom door, the deep breaths before you lift your head and walk back out for more. We need to remember this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God says. More specifically, he gave that message to us through the Apostle Paul. But he said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. That is the promise to every mother and to each one of us today. Lean into the realities of life, no matter how hard they may be. Because real life, all the messy, joyful, painful moments is always better than creating the perfect appearances. Real is where God's grace shows up and draws our hearts to him. So whenever or wherever you find yourself today, needing to surrender control like, uh, like Jacobet or, or wanting to, to step deeper into trust and obedience like the widows, you know in, in uh, Zarephath or, or, or hoping that God can redeem your messy story like Bathsheba or seeing God has redeemed you like Naomi. Let's allow our lives to reflect the true heart of a mother filled with great joy and deep pain but covered in His grace which is always enough. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are... You are just amazing. You've been blessing... Humans since the beginning of time, you wanted to have that relationship with us, and and you gave mothers a, a special ability that that men just cannot uh, just cannot uh, do. You've given them special qualities, uh, the nurturing things. That yes, we you know as men we can approach certain things, but Lord, uh, really, you've given those abilities to women on purpose for a reason. I pray that you. Uh, That your Holy Spirit allows the ladies to nurture one another, to, to nurture those that are younger than them. To bless their children. To realize that you are the one that's in control. That they can hand that control over to you.